You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. <laughs> When Gene Roddenberry created Star Trek The Next Generation in 1987, he reinvigorated his vision of the future. And in doing so, he empowered a pop culture phenomenon that continues to grow and inspire even to this day. The Roddenberry Archive has been doing a lot of amazing things. They've been building starships, they've been building bridges. We're working very carefully to let people explore the various range of ships called Enterprise. We've actually built digitally all of the bridges for the Starship Enterprise, and those are digitally in-universe versions. And we have them now as sort of this large interactive experience where you can literally go through the timeline of Star Trek. We're very excited to be able to present these ships and their bridges to enjoy and explore. At the moment, we are concentrating on the Enterprise 1701D. everybody and welcome once again to Geekfest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone and today I have James who's going to be joining us in a little bit and together we are going to talk about the Roddenberry Archives. This is something that we stumbled upon a while back and we started kind of looking a little deeper into it and my goodness is there some fantastic stuff that is being developed. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to be unleashed on everyone, you know, in its final state, but we're going to try to explain, you know, exactly what it is that we're dealing with here. It is something that has just blown us completely away in terms of the quality of what is being done, you know, with all of these assets having to do with Star Trek from all over, you know, the archival material that exists. So let's just get started because this one is a real doozy to explain. Interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on-the-spot task force. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Thank you, Bob. It's Mort. Mort, yes. I am Ted Baxter, and here is the news. Joining me one more time, I have James. Say hi, James. Hello, hello. And today we are returning to our, I would say, probably second favorite topic. Number one being Star Wars. Number two, possibly being Star Trek. <laughs> would you agree? I would agree. And maybe maybe Doctor Who would be squeezed in there, depending on the era and what's happening in the world. <laughs> ah. Well, today I want to kind of go over something that... I found it a while back and I kind of forgot about it for a while. And I'm sure you've ran into it too and, and also kind of put it aside. And then I refound it again. And especially having to do with the end of the Picard season where, spoiler alert, they do mention and you obviously you do see that the, the Enterprise D was, I guess, recommissioned, put together in little pieces back, you know, for the show, for for the story purposes and for the canon of the show it's it's in the story that they were able to cobble it back together again and that kind of links to what we're going to talk about today and that is there's this project going on that's been going on now possibly for about four or five years which is a combination of the Roddenberry archives which is this is the an official archival of all of Roddenberry's materials, you know, that had to do with Star Trek and just about every, you know, everything he's done professionally, but primarily the Star Trek is what they're focusing on here. His son, I believe, is involved in it because he's the, I guess, the heir of the Roddenberry <laughs> Empire. Empire. <laughs> and they apparently partnered up with a company called Otoy. And this is a company that is 
big into graphics and computer games and cloud-based material. In other words, not the type of stuff they sell you and you put it on your computer at home and you work on it. No, this is all cloud-based stuff. And it's a little difficult to explain what it is that, that is happening or what they're doing. There is a video on YouTube that very good, I would say, very well explains it a little bit, or at least what we have so far. And that a video could be found on YouTube. The name of the the site and a YouTube name is The Burnett Works. The name of the actual video is called Rob Servations, Robert Mayer Burnett, episode 853. And he goes through this whole thing in quite a long time, you know, explaining to, see, to, to us how it works. But why don't we give people a little bit of a background to who this gentleman is? In the video, he does explain, you know, he is in the business. He doesn't get very specific on the video, but he has worked as an advisor, I guess, or a consultant for apparently a number of Star Trek projects. But James, why don't you tell us what we might know him more, especially if you're a nerd like myself? Well, first of all, his podcast, he's, he's, he's a participant in a lot of different podcasts. He's very thorough. He's very big fan of Star Trek. So not just a consultant. He basically, A made the free enterprise movie which most fans love and find it to be like a reference guide to being a fan this one was in particular about two young guys who are trying to put some project together and they're trying to get william shatner and shatner is a character of himself portraying himself oh yeah and very silly and there was a scene in particular that we took to heart because they make a toy run to Toys R Us in the middle of the day. Uh, you know, they were loosely involved in the, in the movie. They were involved in uh, filmmaking or something, you know, whatever it was. So it's been a long time since I watched it, but I remember loving it and it was really well done. Also his, his websites since then, he expounds on what he used to do, which is essentially he was a uh, creator of many of the behind the scenes DVD supplementals and things for box sets for movie DVD discs and Blu-rays and things like that. So to go into his whole resume, that's not what we're here for, but he's got tons of street cred. I've communicated with him very casually on his streams or podcasts as one would when sometimes you leave messages and they respond. And so he's basically as much of an authority as some other you know, actual participants in the series have been. So I really appreciate his work and he loves Star Trek, the motion picture with as much gusto as I do. Now, one of the things that he explains, and again, he's kind of going through these articles, you know, industry articles uh, announcing this venture that's taking place. And initially, the way that this venture happens, in other words, what is it that they're putting together? What is it that they're producing? One of the things that he mentions that they are going to initially start, you know, to put out there is NFTs, which that's a whole other world that to me that's kind of like cryptocurrency it's a it's something that's off to the side that i really don't want to get involved with whatsoever it's a weird art type of thing that you don't really own it's a it's a bizarre thing look into that that's off to the side the other thing he talks about is holograms that they are trying to put together holographic images of locations or characters based on all the material that's been gathered, you know, during the last almost 50 years. Another thing that they're talking about is that that company, Otoy, uses something called LightSource, which is apparently a very well-known industry graphics, kind of like an accelerator that can create studio and physical images and can render them super incredibly fast. And a lot of it could also be like motion capture related stuff. So you're kind of starting to think, okay, well, okay, this is like a high-end visual effects. Yes, it is high-end visual effects, but right now they're using them primarily for video game purposes. I feel like it's almost like a very sophisticated version of or, or similar version of what they use with the volume, which is used yeah. now for special effects acting so they can react to things behind them right away rather than the uh, blue screen, green screen effects of the old days. Yeah, it's it's something kind of new. And in the manner that they want to use it now, I think that's the thing. They're trying to kind of make this thing switch from the video game world to the media world, meaning whether it's television or film or something like that. 
Now, last year at the 56 Vegas Trek convention that they had, they had a big presentation there of what they have so far. And present there were some of the people that are also involved in this. And this would be the the Akutas. Michael and I forget her name. Denise. Denise, the, they're married. They're the the like visual designers of a lot of Star Trek stuff going way, way, way back, you know, to next gen and even before that, a couple of movie I think Michael was in Voyage. Well, Home. she he says Robert says Denise is actually in the, the motion picture crowd scene. Of she can the, go uh, all the way back, yeah, to the motion picture, yeah. You also have Doug Drexler, who is a um again, he started out as just a nerd. Makeup effects, graphic design, special effects, model construction, you name it, he's done it. I'm friends with him on Facebook. You know, he's always posting Star Trek stuff. So he's another person involved in this. And there was another one, Dockerman, I forget the person's first name, but apparently this is another person that is very, you know, in the know of what's going on for Star Trek. Now, what they're announcing is that they had two main things. They had a small video presentation of, I don't know if you can call it a a short film, because it's very short. It's a sequence, really, of shots for a story. Okay, that's one thing. The other thing they were talking about is an archival repository, basically, of all of the Star Trek ships that you've seen, especially the Enterprises, being able to catalog them, digitally design them, going inside and having like a three-dimensional tour of just about every area, you know, that you could think of. Now, this is going to take years, I imagine, to create. But what they first showed us on that presentation was something called Memory Wall. So with Memory Wall, you're dealing with I don't know. I think it's like two minutes long. It's very short. It's almost like it's a teaser of what's yet yeah, to come. Like, yeah. But it's done in so, such a loving, thorough manner that it deep dives into things that I, quite frankly, didn't even know existed as a fan. <laughs> and and if you guys remember, Memory Wall refers to motion picture, the sequence that was uh, deleted because yeah. they couldn't film that it. I all knew, so I appreciated the connotation to that. But in general, this... Boy, this has some very, you know, esoteric uh, connections to the cage, to the motion picture, to generations, to, to, I guess, to Picard. Uh, it does. Well, that's the thing. It's, it, it seems to connect a lot of things from different mediums. And we haven't even talked about comic books and books yet because it, it does. And going back to the, the whole memory wall thing is, like I said, it was a scene that was deleted from the film because they couldn't shoot it. It was too difficult to shoot. The special effects were not working the way they wanted them to work. But the gist of the story is that Spock enters this area of V'ger that's called the memory wall where he's able to connect with V'ger and memories, you know, events get kind of passed back and forth between them. And this is more involved in the novel and the comic book if people have been that connected to it or if they have those media still in their collection. You can see more of it. And Kirk and Spock originally were going to journey together into this area and then Spock in the final version ends up mind melding with the brains of each right, entity, right. the uh, the, the hard drive, whatever it is, and it winds up giving him too much information. And he goes, he sees things in past, future. I guess he sees versions of what Viger's seen on this journey, and it really enlightens him and almost, I guess, destroys his mind a little bit. You know, he covers, he's our hero, but that's generally what was happening in that scene. Right. And again, this will connect to what's happening now with this company. Memory Wall. The short video, you know, we'll include the link so you guys can watch it, obviously. So you, what you have here is a shot of the Enterprise. And again, this is the motion picture Enterprise. It seems to be approaching a planet. Then you have Spock mind-melding. You know, these are very quick shots, some of these things. And then you kind of see like this squarish-looking mountain. But as you get on top of this mountain, it has very 
high, not man-made, but someone made symbols. And the main symbol in the center of it is like an eye, very, very reminiscent of V'ger. You know, that whole shot of the, the first chamber, I guess, when you when, when they yeah. go in. And most people don't even realize V'ger wasn't just the Voyager 6. Right. V'ger was a creation around it to help Voyager return or continue on its journey in not just a satellite form. And it basically had many chambers, many orifices, many holding areas of, of both real and digital information, at least what we would call digital information. Yep, that's right. A very important character in these short films is Yaman Kolt that we mentioned a little bit before. This is a character from the pilot of the show that only appeared, I think, like once or twice. I believe she only appeared once in the pilot and then was seen again because the pilot footage was reused, reused in the Menagerie two-parter. And she was essentially the, well, I'll call her the third woman of interest <laughs> in that because Vina was the initial and she was the mysterious woman. And then number one and Colt were the alternates offered to the original Captain Pike. Pike. And it's very interesting that they would go back to a character like that because there's so many other options. They obviously have the rights to the Roddenberry estate and images and things of that nature. So they certainly could have made a connect, more of a connection with Angel Barrett, who was number one. So it goes to this other character, which you know was really a secondary character in the whole series. You never hear from her again, essentially. But now it's elevated her to this really important status based on what you're going to explain. It's also fresh territory because obviously the less we know about a character, the less developed the character is, the more crazy whoever's writing this can go without contradicting, you know, whatever canon exists. So yeah. it does provide him with an opportunity. Now, this character, like I said, in these short f videos, in these short films, and, and I, I do want to call them films because... They are incredibly cinematic. The sounds, the music, the visuals that you see, it's something, it's like watching 2001 almost. Yeah, I was stunned. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe, just whatever, the few minutes that yeah. they offer us. You, it's like, it's, I hope this is a trailer for something coming next year or something like right. that. That's how excited I got. And this is kind of like, if you remember, this is what used to happen a lot with some of those older Star Wars games where they would put out this amazing trailer that you're like, how do they make these trailers so good? And then the games are a little disappointing. <laughs> I think the word is like a sizzle reel. They, yeah, they will show you the yeah. best they have, the best moves, the best imagery, the best music. And the, people would everything. say, why can't they make a movie out of these little trailers? Yeah, people would exactly. say that all the time. What I, that's what I said to you. Exactly. I saw these bridges, <laughs> these these every bridge available and bridges that we never saw oh, yeah. uh, but only heard or read about or saw artwork on and i'm like man this is what i want this do do this everybody is dying or getting older do this and go into areas that nobody's been before with this digital format and man i, I was stunned and then then found out all the backstory on this this stuff yeah so going back to this particular short, like I said before, we do have a mind melt that's happening between Spock and Colt. So that's interesting that these two are sharing memories or maybe reserving a memory, kind of like Spock. Remember, you gave McCoy a memory that he could yeah. save for later, that kind of and thing. And it's not ridiculous because they did serve together. Spock was in oh, the yeah. pilot of the cage. And so this is the character he would be familiar with. So we don't know why, though, there's that connection. Right, right. Presently. Now, the next shot is my favorite shot of this particular one because we do see the, and I'm going to call it famous because to me it's, it's, it is famous. We see the XCV 330 ring ship that we talked about before when we were talking about We've one of those about Eagle Moss. So uh, much, all these little things that we all get drawn back to it and real fans, especially motion picture fans, where it made its first debut to us, but it really was artwork potential enterprises from the old days that appeared in the motion picture and then eventually subsequently in other Star Treks yeah. to give it some real canon and street cred of, of a, an actual existing, which we fell in love with. You know, and I think we get like that with characters that we and, and things that we don't know enough about. They're so mysterious yep. we get drawn to them like Boba Fett. Yeah, and they're definitely mining for 
material that's out there that hasn't been really explored too much. Like I said, like you said, the ring ship. Now, again, the ring ship they show you here seems to have been crashed into this like ice snowy field. So there is this whole theme, recurrent theme in these videos of enterprises that have crashed in the past. Yeah, destroyed. So it's taken interesting. before their time. Exactly. Something of that nature. And that was found by Robert and this other writer, tweeter, and they dug this up and realized the connection of the various different things and how I try to tie them together at this point, I guess. Right. And then you have very fast shots, you know, very fast cuts of all types of weird stuff going on. Some of it, you can't tell what it is. There was one very clear shot of the Voyager, the V'ger nameplate, the plate on the side of the actual device. And that then goes away. And then that whole thing ends with a different shot of Spock, but this time he's wearing the motion picture outfit. So you're going from the older Spock to a younger Spock, which is from the motion picture, the motion, which is bizarre because you're like, well, wait a minute, are we de- we're dealing in time travel here? I think not only is he seeing the past, are we seeing his future? Yeah, is, who's is, who's in charge is, here? What is going? Yeah, and the fact that it's not linear, right, is part of the charm of this when we think back on it. Exactly. Now, during this convention, they also showed a second film called 765874. The numbers, those numbers refer to, once again, Yeoman Cult from a comic book from, you know, the Pike era that we'll talk about in a little bit because that's her designation. That's her serial number. So that's where that number keeps coming from, That how important she is. And this film, which is the shortest of the three, has her... You know, you get a very close-up of her face, and then you see all these different shots of Starfleet. But the first shot, she's wearing, you know, she's wearing, I believe, her cage uniform. But by the time we see one of those last shots, we see the Enterprise at what appears to be either Starfleet or some kind of museum. According to the guy, it's supposed to be like the Smithsonian, and it's on display Possibly linking to some future location of the original Enterprise, which is bizarre. So that was even more confusing than the first film. Now, fast forward to 2023, which is this year, obviously. Earlier this year, they announced that they are going to open up a web portal. So you can go in there and actually look at these things. Now, I tried going into it and its I don't think it's open yet because there is a Roddenberry Archives website. But it doesn't seem to have, as far as I could tell, a way of getting into all this information. All these videos are accessible on YouTube under different locations. They're also a little tricky how they kind of place them. The Otoy YouTube channel, for example, has a lot of this. And the other thing that they premiered was all these videos. I don't know if you've seen any of them, James, of... People talking about the project, Shatner talking about the project, all the different technical people. They have a video called Enterprises like A through Z, you know, and it's... I saw parts of it. I saw Shatner talking about some things and I didn't, I have not yet been able to go through all of it because I want to... I want to really absorb it all, and yeah. I don't want to miss you, anything. You got to do that. I don't want to do it out of order or in pieces because I think I found only pieces so far. I would. I, I'm hoping this gets put together in like a many hour expose of everything right. that we've ever wanted to know. And the videos that that are on YouTube are just like little previews of what's coming. So it's That's it's right. not like you're getting three hours worth of something. No, no, you're just getting a little preview of of how this project is developing. So what's happened is that this year they released a third video now, a third little movie presentation called Regenerations. And here's where it gets weird. That's expe- that's exciting. That's, that's a weird one. one. Because this one is the one that kind of ties into Picard, the third season of Picard. Like I mentioned earlier, in the third season of Picard, they do mention the fact that one of Geordi's hobbies at the time was to restore the the Enterprise D. Well, they had to recover it because of potential thievery and damage to, you know, pre-warp civilizations and things like that. Imagine some... some yeah, they mentioned some, something like they, some, they had to move it somewhere yeah, else. Some inexperienced, uh, you know, citizens stumbling upon something like that. 
So they eventually have to take it away. Plus, Jordy or whomever wanting to reconstitute it, and I think he said he took it from another galaxy class that had been damaged. So he yes. was able to take the uh, star drive and meld uh-huh. it with the saucer and basically reconstitute the D. Exactly. exactly. For the museum. So the regenerations video opens up with a shot of like a plant and then it cuts to a forest and then you're in a big big forest and a little ship is flying through the forest and little by little you kind of see this ship flying through the edge of what appears to be a curved image and that is basically the the hull the saucer of the D. Then you cut to another shot of a lot of other ships kind of attaching hoses to the D, I guess, I don't know, removing the fuel or or repowering it maybe or something like that. Then you see a shot of Spock, which we, we can tell it's Spock, but it, it, when you first look at it, you can't. It's, it's some guy in a hood and a long <laughs> robe at a, uh, like a, like a desert mountainous location, like a very rocky location. And he picks up a, uh, a batch. Like, I don't know if it's a communicator. No, it's not a communicator. It's just a rank. And we can tell that this is the location where Kirk died in generations fighting Dr. Soren. So we see. On the top of the hill, there's like what appears to be rocks, you know, like a triangular rocks. It's a tomb, basically, where I guess that's where they laid his body. And then we get a shot of the person wearing the hood, removing their hood, looking straight at the camera. And again, it's it's Nimoy. Now, keep in mind, Nimoy didn't film any of this stuff. This is, Nimoy this is has old, been gone, sadly, for many years uh, For now. years. So this is all made... With some kind of computer programs, and I don't know if it's there was any facial recognition, motion capture, you know, done years ago, or they're actually extracting this from existing materials that, you know, had no clue that they were going to do anything like this. But it looks absolutely fantastic. That scene cuts to another shot of Spock, and now he's in the motion picture Spock, and you get a couple of those quick shots again of things happening and you see the enterprise uh, probably the a is it crashing like and from star trek 3 it's the refit it's the original enterprise refit yeah doing that that crash from 3 again very quick shot and then you get a reverse shot of spock once again and he he looks like he's like on the side of a building looking out into what could be starfleet or the city or whatever so there's things happening here once again that are bouncing back and forth. This particular portion of things, from what I understand, mimic a lot of these scenes, especially the one of Spock in the mountain. There's a novel that Shatner wrote years ago called Ashes of Eden, both a novel and then they did a comic book version of it. This is where I did. I knew the book. I didn't know they ever did yeah. a, a couple of these comics. I mean, I bought the comics in the 80s. But yep. I, and some of them in the from the from the seventies, the Marvel ones after the motion picture. I didn't know there was this whole generation of stuff. Yeah. It's Star Trek's version of the EU, obviously, just like Star Wars, just like them. But then there's a, apparently there's another comic called Spock Reflections that also has those kind of. And if you look at the the boards, it's like you're looking at storyboards because the angles are the same, the shots are the same, the people populating the scene are the so same. That's what I'm saying, you know. A lot of people, this is very lovingly done. This was not some random thing of this putting scenes together and member and, you know, characters that jingle bear, member, member berries or whatever they call these things of, that they, to try to get our attention to say, oh, look, it's Boba Fett. Or, oh, look, it's uh, Captain Kirk. You know, it's it's like really following stuff, real existing stuff that most of us didn't even know existed. Yeah. Now, another person that gets credited on the video we watched, the, the, the Burnett video, he credits very specifically a gentleman called Stephen Digman. Uh, and he says you can find them on stephendigman.com. He did this whole Twitter thread where he kind of started breaking everything down into little tiny pieces. And one of the things he found was the scenes, a lot of the scenes having to do with cult come from a run of 97, 98 Marvel comics called Early Voyages, which has to do with the Pike era. That's the ones I didn't know existed. And and as Robert says, it's essentially Strange New Worlds before 
Strange New World. Before Strange New World. With the artwork and characters that we knew existed, not the ones that they created or the situations and connections they created for the show. Right. And apparently, from what they're saying, is that on issue 12 of that particular run, there's a storyline of cult time traveling into the future in many different parts of the future, as far as 40 years in the future, but then a little bit before that. So there's something going on with her time traveling. That's where we also find out that her serial number is that number, that 765874 number that we saw earlier. There are apparently other scenes there, including the memory wall. They shot, somehow they shot it. I don't know how they did this, but scenes with her and Spock that take place after the motion picture and before Star Trek II. So that stuff is in there somewhere that we haven't seen yet. There's something called the Well of Tomorrows, which appears to be a very similar location that we saw in this comic book, this mountain with this eye on top, same thing as we saw on the video. There's a slight difference. In the comic book, she jumps into the eye and then she sees apparently all these different timelines. She sees uh, Picard, she sees Kirk, she sees, you know, she sees everybody. But in the video, it looks as if she, all she does is she reaches out and she touches something that triggers all these movements in time. Including, you see the ship, you see the uh, the ring ship, you see uh, V'ger, you see all this other stuff. So, another thing that Burnett mentions is, it, it's a little bit of a divergent uh, uh, <laughs> side trip that he, he says that there's a, there's a couple of shots there that look a lot like, uh, especially the shot of the uh, Enterprise saucer. You know, kind of in the mist, in the jungle, or in, this, in the forest, or whatever it is. And he says that reminded him a lot of a shot from the movie The Arrival. And I don't know if you guys remember The Arrival. It, it's a Dennis. Here we go. Delevieux. I can, I'm never going to pronounce his last name the, right. The guy who made Blade Runner 2. <laughs> Blade Runner 2 and Dune. And so, Dune. <laughs> so before those movies, one of the movies, what big sci-fi movie he made was The Arrival. And there are these weird-looking ships and these weird-looking aliens. But, well, anyway... He says the, the important thing here is to that there was a theme in that movie about nonlinear storytelling, where you're being told a story, but it's being told not in a linear manner, so it kind of confuses you, and it's kind of throwing you back and forth, and not until the end of the story you realize who is telling the story and at what point in their lives they're telling the story. And he says that that is apparently what is happening here. We are led to believe, maybe, who knows, we're theorizing here, that Spock is either remembering his entire life or he's predicting his entire life. That he is seeing as a young man a lot of these events that are going to come and he has that information in him. And he always has to keep that information quiet because obviously, you know, the temporal time, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> but at a certain point, it, it sounds like he might have to pass this information to this other character and her adventures, I guess, with that information of having to go back and forth in time. So this is where we possibly might be heading, you know, with all of this. So after all this is said and done, what's your expectation? Is this something that they will put together as a narrative pseudo feature or featurette? Or is this just for them to continue showing off the skills and future abilities of this project? <laughs> I don't know. I'm scared <laughs> because just like when we used to talk about video games with these great little trailers, I feel the same way. It's like, Okay, you got my attention. Now give me the, you gave me the appetizer. Now give me the main meal. You know, I don't want to just have to run away from this. Obviously, they're going to do something with all the interior ships. So they want people to be able to experience this. My other question here is, is this, which is unfortunately everything falls into this. How are they making money? Because if you don't make money, nothing happens without money. <laughs> so, is this something that they could turn into a movie, a show? I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, you can have Spock a couple of times show up looking really cool, but you can't do an entire film, I think, or an entire show. You know, a weekly show would be too much, I imagine. Well, I don't think, I, don't, I never thought that, but I did think there was going to be like, oh, I, I'm glad I corrected myself, a featurette uh, of sorts telling a story that somehow encompasses all of Star Trek history. Or like a short anything. film? 
Yeah, that's why I say feature it. It could be okay. anywhere from five, 10 minutes to 30 minutes. I don't know how much talent that takes. I don't know how much energy and computing and things like that, but would show off what they have, which would lure you in. And then by that, that kind of like gets you to then go to these different areas where supposedly you're supposed to walk. I mean, here's what we didn't get to yet. And I want to mention all of Star Trek is like a playground for people like us that we love. We absorb as much as we can of it over the years, much like we've talked about with Star Wars. After Star Wars, we wanted to learn everything and find everything about it. So all this stuff being available and now them being able to digitize it. One thing that was said was you were going to be able to walk, I guess, digitally walk the refit enterprise. Now, you've already been able to see all these other bridges and things like that and be able yeah. to spin around almost as if you're bird's eye view in a uh, virtual reality type situation. That in itself is fantastic. I've seen people try to do this and obviously it's a much rawer version of them doing it than the, uh, than the computing power that this company has. That to me smells like a video game to me. That's yeah, what it smells like. It's to be able to think, oh, you'll be able to go into it. Now look, I was able to go to a recreation of the original set into Condoroga. And as far as I'm concerned, I would have been on the Enterprise. That was so great. So if it's a virtual reality situation or you're even there sitting on your computer and you're able to go through each of these decks and areas you've seen in the film. Now, I don't know how many times you would do it, but I know I would do it at least once if I could. And the fact that they're doing it with the refit Enterprise, you know, a lot of people leave out the fact that they think Star Trek The Motion Picture was a failure when in fact it was not. It relaunched this whole, like Star Trek was dead and buried other than some conventions. Now, granted, they were fantastically supported conventions, but Star Trek The Motion Picture was not a failure. It actually made money aside from the poorly written books on they, they put they put everything into this movie that cost them. You know, if somebody took a cab ride to go to an interview to see if the Star Trek TV, new TV show might happen, well, that got added in too. So they fattened up that thing. So it appears that it didn't make enough money, things like that. Well, yeah, in that case, then maybe it was a disappointment. But there's no way it was a failure because the fact that then it continued for – 10 movies, and if you count the uh, the Kelvin movies, and you've got all these series still going on, no. no. No motion picture. You don't have what we have today. It comes in a different form or not at all. So the fact that they connect the motion picture in this in a loving way, for people like me who understand the need for the motion picture, and that was an epic movie. That might not have been the swashbuckling high seas adventure in space of the Rathacon, but it was Star Trek, and it was thoughtful, and it was beautiful, and there are people who still say the scene of the Enterprise in Space Dock and the music is one of the finest pieces of film and music and special effects in history. So I'm thrilled that these people have not just overlooked all that, and they have connected that Spock from that particular era and that ring ship and all these other things that appear in it. That's what I found. That's what I took away out of this. That this is not just trying to get people to drop a quarter in, into a movieola and say, "Oh, look, I saw Star Trek in a new digital form." No, this, this is these are people who know their stuff. And as you said from the beginning, the people connected to it, they know their stuff. Yeah. Again, it's it's a matter of of what do you do with this? Like, where where do you put it? How do you? And to me, unfortunately, like I said before, to me, it goes back to money is like, how do they make money on something like this? Who do they charge to be able to use this? I doubt this is a, I mean, I know it's an archival, you know, for prosperity and everything, you know, all of the, 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 the library of, of, of Roddenberry material. I get that, but they still have to make some money here. So I'm just wondering, where, where, when are, are we going to see all right? Because up to this point, I think it's just that they've been teasing everybody with what's coming. Even though what's coming, it's very cloudy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, we've done shows explaining how it's sort of a resurgence. But what we're seeing today is not the same Star Trek. It is modern Star Trek. You can watch it linearly and say, oh, this happened and that happened, and it just looks better. The older stuff looks – the stuff that's supposed to be older than the original series timeline is better looking because obviously they would have used much better special effects and sets and everything in 1966 if they could have. 
So that's all fine. You have to suspend disbelief of that, that it all fits in somehow. But they're also changing things and adding characters and putting characters together that probably weren't originally intended to be. Pike is important and Pike, but, but Kirk ultimately became the focus when the original cage failed. So now putting so much effort in the connections and Kirk being a side character in this show, it would have been better maybe just not to include Kirk as much, have them meet up and casual. So these are the things that people find not to be correct, but otherwise there's no storytelling if you don't try to change things. So it is a modern Star Trek resurgence, but I'm part of the original Star Trek and I want that to be respected and not just overlooked and saying, oh, you know, it's different now. This is how it looked or this is, you know, I think I'm going to beating around the bush here, but I think this allows the Roddenberry Star Trek to thrive where what we have now is based on the Roddenberry Star Trek, but is nowhere near what Gene Roddenberry was creating. He'd probably be thrilled that it still has such life in it, but it's not the same, just like modern Star Wars is not George Lucas Star Wars and down the line, you know, Spider-Man, Doctor Who, everything evolves, but it's also, you know, disappears from its creator, pardon the pun, of the Voyager. You know, it's like, we, we want to find the creator, and I think this Otoy is trying to help you find the creator, Gene Roddenberry, mm -hmm. and get into his head and the yeah. people he surrounded himself with that made Star Trek so great. I would also say that if you're interested in trying to dig a little deeper into the sources where all of this seems to be coming from in terms of the storylines they're borrowing or the storylines that have already been told, and I mentioned some of these before, Early Voyages, I found all this on eBay at a pretty reasonable price because nobody really cares about this stuff right now because it's not current. It's not modern. Yeah. There's two really big, thick books of comics for the Early Voyages. So there's two of those books if you want them. Only, But one of them, is, I think it's volume three, is the one that actually deals in those particular issues. Twelve, I think it's 12 through 15 or 12 through 18, something like that. So you can get those there. The Ashes of Eden book, the book, the Shatner book, again, available very cheap. Their comic book version is also available out there. Spock Reflections, another comic book that deals with the similar, you know, that whole trying to get Kirk's body out of where it was, you know, Spock, you know, leading that mission on his own. And also another thing that uh, Burnett mentioned that, and you mentioned a little bit too, is that the movie tie-in novel for the motion picture is the only one that was actually written by Roddenberry. It wasn't like they got a ghostwriter or one of those writers of the week that come in and do the, the movie tie-in. He actually That's wrote right. all that. So it's very important because you have his words exactly. And those are the ones I recommend. There is no artist interpretation. Yeah, there's no interpretation. No, it's those are it's like that's gospel right there. And I know you've bought a lot of the Star Trek books. Yeah. The uh the making of the the deeper dives into things and especially the deeper dives into the motion picture which pretty much pick up a lot of times as the original series is ending in 69 to the build up it, to take basically a 10 year journey, 10 year mission, a 10 year journey, whatever you want to call it, to get that movie onto the screen and the ups and downs and it's dead. It's, uh, oh, I don't even want, you know, there were times it's like, oh, I don't even know, Roddenberry, I've heard his, he was, do I even want to get involved? And it's like, well, how can I let anybody else do it? You know, it's, it's meant so much and I've, I've got so much into it. Let's make sure it's like, that's what I like. That's what I like. That's why I like that. I, I go back to that motion picture novelization and there's tons of stuff that didn't make it onto the screen or was changed because of the constant rewrites and reshoots and special effects issues and things like that so i like and i always say this when i read books what we get on screen go back and read the novelizations you've done so many shows on them to get almost like a well this was happening we just couldn't show you everything otherwise it would have been a 10-hour movie Harry Potter, you know, all these movies we do novelizations of Alien, stuff like that. Sometimes there's completely different stuff and characters that don't really ever fit in because they're, they didn't make it to the film and they you didn't see them. But it's so much better to feel like, oh, there's a whole different reason of why certain things are happening. And now now their reactions make more sense or now the uh, – and then that's – that's what's in that novelization, memory wall. Now, in the vein of what we were just talking about in terms of, you know, we know for a fact that obviously Nimoy was not around to record any of this or, or even to think, you know, about the future in terms of future technology that would allow us to do something like this. Shatner, on the other hand, 
based on some of these little videos, these preview videos they showed us, he might have been involved, I think, in recording a whole bunch of stuff like this because it's one of the things that they kept talking about was being able to come up with these holographic projections or images or or digital assets of characters or actors that are still alive that can be used not necessarily for their exact visuals but like their voices and then they can maybe do you know that kind of magic that they do with deep fake and all that stuff where they can then superimpose a younger face on them i have a feeling that's kind of a little bit in the direction that they're trying to head and we talked about this a little bit the other day you know how many actors do you think nowadays are kind of you know going to the uh uh the <laughs> the bank and uh and and depositing their image you know for future usage or selling their image outright selling yeah, it yeah i want to jump in and say that and i've recently seen within the past couple of years you me a couple of the people we've talked about how you've got these people alive you try to make the best use of them i don't know how you either save their images, save their voices. If they're iconic voices like James Earl Jones, you see, you, you try to use these characters and actors in positive ways for future use or to enhance things like now, which in Picard, they use Walter Koenig. But of the original series, you've got Kirk, Sulu, and Chekhov there, and there those actors alive. In Star Wars, you've got Anthony Daniels, uh, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford alive and a few of the doctor doctors from doctor who are alive and they do use them positive in positive ways because they do audio shows and audio series which are mm -hmm. brilliant and there's no there's almost no comparison how well they've done on those well you try to find that you animated stuff and you try to connect them somehow now i know voices can be imitated yeah but we mentioned just the other day they did a almost throwaway but not really they were trying to promote the uh, Batman 66 with Adam West and it was 2016 and they were trying to generate some stuff. So they did an animated show with Adam West. They did it with Burt Ward and, and eventually the sequel they did with Shatner playing a character yeah, um, yeah. of Two-Face. But that generated so much excitement just because the actual Adam Weston, you know, was, was involved in things like that. You started, you launch it with Mark Hamill and Harris Ford. You do a Star Trek and you've got a, a cartoon version of the, of the motion picture era or something with three legitimate characters who are still alive and, and, and connect with the fans in such a way that nobody can even explain why these people still connect with fans so much after all these years. We're talking, you know. 60 years uh these these are these 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 are ridiculous connections try use these use these people in good ways and obviously you have to pay them a little bit and i think that's part of the problem but they paid james earl jones to have his ability to record i heard them say in one of the teasers or trailers or sizzle shots that they saved Major Barrett's voice because she was the voice of all those starships in addition to being an actor. Oh, no, it's, it series. was in this. It was in the, the, the description of this uh, archive, this Roddenberry they archive that they do have her voice. voice. Find yeah. ways to do this. And of course, yes, it does cost money to pay, but you know you're going to need these characters. And, and, and rather than just steal them, make goodwill with the families and fans rather than try to steal them down the line and imitate <laughs> them because you have the ability to imitate them but having the real connections. That's something that's important to me as we're close to losing everybody that has meant to, something to us growing up. And that's what I saw. I saw hope in this project of things yeah. like that. Yeah, between the being able to create the images on people on purpose and people that have nothing to do with it because they no longer are around, you have a very good combination of something that could be very positive as opposed to all this dread that we keep hearing now about AI and, you know, taking over jobs and fighting over the rights and saying, screw the writers or screw the actors, or we'll just have AI do it for us and all that stuff. You know, that's the negative side of it. But the, there is a positive, hopefully good side, you know, that, that could benefit, you know, all the creatives out there and being able to bring you something that would have been completely 100% impossible under normal circumstances. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Thanks again for James for helping us trying to figure this out and what exactly it is and how it functions. From what I understand, the information we got so far was part of a preview 
that was done a while back. So the meat and potatoes of this really has not been completely released to the public. But like I said before, there are a lot of resources out there. That website that they have where you can see all these clips, there is so much stuff in there that gives you an idea of exactly how they did these shots of specifically Spock, where they show you the actor they hired and the prosthetics they put on him, and then what the computer does on top of those prosthetics to make him look just like him and interact with other actors. It is just, it's just amazing. And I would suggest until they really release this thing where we can actually go into all these different ships and explore them inside and all that kind of stuff that's supposed to be happening, spend your time on these videos that give you a preview of what's coming. And there's one specific video, the one I just mentioned before, is that they it's supposed to be like a presentation that was done in some show. It's over an hour long, but at a certain point, you get to see these computer renderings and step-by-step -step of how these shots were achieved. And they show you a lot more than just the little stuff that we talked about in terms of how this stuff was actually made. So hopefully sometime in the near future, we're going to have another crack at this and really be able to explore, you know, what these Roddenberry archives are all about. So on behalf of everybody here, once again, thanks to James and thanks to you guys as usual for spending some time with us. And we will see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. It's been six months since we announced the Gene Roddenberry Archive, and a lot has happened. Our team is growing. We're building more assets, and we're very excited to show the progress that we've made. Something very exciting happened shortly after we announced the Roddenberry Archive. I was invited to speak at the Apple keynote, and so we showed the motion picture one-to-one -one in Universe Enterprise in the Apple keynote. It was just an incredible experience. In the television industry, if you want to sell a television series, what you generally do is you produce a sample episode. It's called a pilot. For Star Trek, that sample episode was called The Cage. The episode was written by Gene Roddenberry, and directed by Robert Butler. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2023. <laughs>